Welcome to a tech moment on Cannabis Tech. I'm your host, Christina Etter. In this podcast, we take just a few minutes to talk about the exciting science and technology that's changing the cannabis and hemp industries. And once a month, we check in with Pan Exchange to talk about the hemp markets and the commodities and what things are changing for our hemp farmers. This month, I'm welcoming Tom Dermody, who is Pan Exchange Senior Market Analyst, who's filling in for RJ Hop this month. Welcome to the show, Tom. And thanks for having me. And for all the listeners out there, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yeah, you too. So before we dive into the report itself, since you're new to the show, let's talk about you. <laughs> um, tell me who, who you are, what do you do for Pan Exchange, and kind of what brought you into this world of hemp commodities? Sure thing. So uh, again, I'm, I'm presently the senior market analyst, and I'm primarily responsible for covering the hemp grain and what we consider the true hemp market, which is a, a term to represent the stocks of fiber or herd that will eventually be processed into the myriad of industrial or textile-based products uh, that, that are of keen interest at the moment. Um, over the last uh, 90 to 120 days, I helped establish our two latest benchmarks for hemp grain and true hemp. And all the while uh, looking to answer the question of what is the value of a particular hemp-based product uh, in expanding that scope uh, beyond CBT to help uh, demonstrate the, the value proposition that may fit uh, for row crop style hemp or more broadly into addressing um, some of the, the more functional issues that you see within other commodity markets right now. Uh, however, you know, I, I've been in the hemp industry for going on six years now, so my uh, experiences uh, have also made me uh, somewhat opinionated on the CBD side, so I, I can uh, pinch, pinch hit on that front as well. Uh, how I got into hemp is kind of an interesting story. Uh, I lived and worked in, in uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, as a crop diversification specialist for the National Family Farm Coalition uh, during the 14 Farm Bill, and uh, wasn't necessarily looking to get into hemp, but I relocated to Colorado at just about the perfect time um, and helped jumpstart a, a big portion of what I'd like to call the supporting side of the industry uh, by way of a 501c3 nonprofit called the Industrial and Research Foundation, which some of your listeners may be familiar with. Uh, really what was an entity that helped bridge the public and private research gap uh, that was mandated under the 14 Farm Bill. And that organization really spearheaded, but let's say the operational needs that precluded further engagement between public and private entities. Um, did that job for about uh, three years and fortunately uh, then transitioned to working for International Hemp Solutions, where I was a project manager uh, on their seed division side um, and helped jumpstart a certified seed replication and distribution business. Uh, worked for them for, for another three years and uh, as of July of this year, I'm working uh, for Pan Exchange because one of my the big questions that, that I ask is how do we ascertain the value of this product? And now that we're um, starting to realize the economies of scale, it, it's a very critical question to address. And, and it's something um, that, that Pan Exchange offers me the, the opportunity to, to uh, offer in, in a positive fashion. Uh, and for any folks who are 
uh, looking at diversifying their hemp operations to include fiber and grain, I, I you know, certainly appreciate it if they'd reach out and uh, if they have questions uh, to help uh, get, get their footing, if you will, uh, with what's going on in the fiber and grain side these days. Fabulous. So you're, I mean, in, in, in years in terms of the cannabis industry, you're pretty much a veteran. You're an old pro at this since you have all that background and experience with, with the hemp industry. So that's, that's really fun. Now, let's dive into this month's report, actually, and, and kind of talk about, because there's a lot of things in this month's report. Uh, as, as Julie put it in her email to me, it was really juicy. What are the major points that you feel are really important about biomass pricing and the commodities pricing this month? Sure thing, and, and to kick things off, I, you know, as we, we would come to expect, transaction volumes are picking up, but still heavily weighted towards split tolling arrangements. Uh, the lingering 2019 product that is still available um, has caused some hesitation for producers uh, looking to secure uh, you know, uh, deals related to their 2020 product, uh, and they're in somewhat of a short window before their 2019 crop degrades to the point where it is no longer fit, fit for sale. So uh, I would say overall the liquidity is starting to increase, and there are signs that we're starting to formally walk through the, the 2019 oversupply. Um, and that is welcome news for folks who want to hang on to their 2020 crop to see if they can get a slight uh, increase in, in sale price uh, come the first or second quarter of next year. Um, specifically on the 2020 crop, though, uh, processors uh, within our network have reported that the average CBD content uh, has fallen between to, to reach between 6 and 8%. Um, and there's two driving uh, re uh, reasons behind that. Uh, the adoption of the new THC compliance regimes in states that previously did not include total THC as part of the calculation is definitely the primary driver. But I also think it's important to be cognizant of the early snow and uh, as well as the wildfires impact on yield potential within the Mountain West and Pacific North West regions of the country, uh, meaning that you know whether you got uh, hit with a little early smoke and that that impacted your overall yield, or more drastically, um, when those early snows hit the Mountain West, uh, overall that decreased the potential cannabinoid totals, with, particularly for CBT. Um, so I think for good reason, the vast majority of product uh, that's hitting the market right now falls in that six to 8% uh, region, which uh, again, could increase the overall volume of utilization to offset that loss in potency uh, that we're seeing at the moment. Uh, and last, uh, but, but certainly not least, uh, I, I just wanna uh, give folks a, a heads up that this month we, we decided to offer a forecast on what we consider the row crop style of hemp production, namely grain and true hemp. But come the December issue, uh, we'll be taking a deeper dive into the supply and demand forecasts related to cannabinoid products for the 2021 and 2022 seasons. Um, and this is going to uh, be somewhat similar to what we covered uh, in last December's report, 
uh, but we're also fortunate to be working in concert with Whitney Economics uh, on some process capacity related information. And that uh, certainly will, will be uh, well worth the time to check out uh, in just two to three weeks from now. Fascinating, very fascinating. And you know, every time we talk about these weather events, you know, things like the wildfires and the, the snows, it's always interesting to see, you know, down the line how those things actually impact the hemp crop and hemp pricing even. So I'm glad that you uh, talked about those things and, and it's interesting to see the, the long-term impact of those kinds of events. Now, the next question I had is in regards to the USD pilot program, which I found, you know, you had some pretty interesting comments in the report about that this month. And then there's a, a trade-off that you mentioned, and I'd love to have you touch base on what that is. Sure, and, and as widely reported, uh, the pilot program period has been extended to October 31 of next year. And in doing so, we have to be cognizant of the trade-offs or the actions that have been pushed further down the line until the pilot program phase has formally ended. And every state is operating under an approved state management plan or has decided to let their producers operate under USDA jurisdiction. Um, and it, with it, it being early on in this period, I think it's very important to recognize that you know, while it's extended it justifiably, the negotiations phase for THC sampling uh, and or related handling considerations, there are real-time trade-offs that, that are already starting to, to show up. Uh, most notably, USDA has decided to extend uh, when production loan eligibility will occur, and that isn't set until the 2022 season on account of this pilot program extension. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that's the worst case scenario, because while we aren't able to utilize production loans uh, for the 2021 season, uh, we do see an increased willingness by USDA to offer marketing support. Um, this month in particular, uh, you may have caught the news that the National Industrial Hemp Council was awarded uh, $200,000 in market access program funding. Um, it's the first time that any hemp trade association has been awarded uh, this type of funding. And what MAPS really offers is it covering the cost of engaging with foreign trade offices and the respective companies they represent. Um, and, and, if, and to put it in another way, it's kind of like putting a foot in the door, but in this case, it's a $200,000 foot in the door to say, let's engage on it. which type of hemp products uh, best service the local demand that these companies are experiencing. Uh, but it, it's also critical to recognize that while that funding is available, there are limitations to how that funding can be utilized. Specifically, you can't market a product that is deemed illegal or is in a legal gray area with this type of money. So I'm particularly excited to see how the MAPS funding pairs out with the recent decision coming out of Europe uh, pertaining to CBD as a narcotic uh, within the French Court of Appeals. Um, and in effect, you have to be... Um, that, you know, preparing to leverage these types of marketing programs uh, if you're intending to have your business be, be uh, a participant in the export market. Um, but at, at last, but certainly not least, I would stress that 
you know, the, the midterm trade-off of, you know, of all these actions is that it's giving more time for more mature market actors to prepare for enhanced competition. Um, and, and you do see signs from China, the EU and Canada that they're increasingly cognizant of uh, the competitive nature that American hemp will offer in, in the near term. Um, and it, by extending the pilot program, we're somewhat delaying the inevitable and the jury is still out on what the return on investment in extending the pilot program is. But all the while, these international market players are, are going to be um, doing their best to prepare for if and when the, the uh, American hemp industry is commoditizing faster than these more mature market segments at the moment. Right. Right. And, you know, you touched base there real on, on one topic, too, that I do want to talk about. And it, you segued really well into this into this question. So now in regards to um, Europe's decision on CBD and having it not be a narcotic, how do you see this long term impacting the U.S. market or even U.S. legalization of, of CBD or, or classification, I guess? of the, the, the CBD and, and food products and things like that. Sure, and, and assuming um, that the French authorities do not try to appeal the recent uh, decision on a public safety claim, uh, I, I would expect uh, that we are gonna get a more wholesome determination about CBD status, uh, call it the third quarter of 2021 um, in that the common agricultural policy negotiations, which is the EU equivalency to the US Farm Bill uh, is occurring this coming year. So by it not being deemed a narcotic, now the legislatures or, or administrative bodies within the European Union will have the flexibility to make a formal determination on CBD. Um, and this could come by way of the common agricultural policy negotiations or allowing the novel food designation, uh, or excuse me, novel food applications that are pending in, in Europe uh, to be given uh, the credit they deserve. And in effect, if one or either of those uh, instances get a positive review, that will ultimately streamline not only you know, what type of CBD products can be sold in Europe, but more than likely will also assist in streamlining the import-export processes associated with acquiring that product. Um, many European vendors uh, you know, look longingly at the quality of North American grade cannabinoid products. So I would say if uh, the local consumer packaging organizations can get their heads around this, there's a high potential for increased exports originating from the US to service the European market. And on a, a, just as a follow-up to, to the last section, uh, another critical item that was resolved uh, in part thanks to this French issue is it provides the necessary guidance on whether or not CBD is a permitted use case for products within Europe. And now this will allow um, the National Industrial Hemp Council to answer the big question of you know, where and when can we go about marketing American-made cannabinoid products on the European market more readily than if the decision had 
been unfavorable to the plaintiffs. Um, so all in all, I think this decision is um, good news uh, with, with respect to the U.S. market. Uh, but I, I do think it, we've got probably a three to six month timetable before the regulatory process catches up with this recent court decision. Right. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. But I, I would just assume that with uh, with the European Union making the decision that they did, um, hopefully that's a that's a step in the right direction for hemp farmers and CBD producers. I think that's uh, definitely a positive. Now, my final question about the report, and based on your introduction, I'm guessing this one's probably near and dear to your heart. So, do you want to talk to me about what's going on in the world of industrial hemp and uh, hemp grains that you see that you feel is important or or critical right now? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure thing, and, and um, encourage folks to, to go uh, check out the report because I, I do think it offers a reasonable justification um, to suppose that grain and fiber associated, associated acres will eclipse those associated with cannabinoid products in the 2021 season. Um, and th this is certainly welcome news. I, you know, prior to the evolution of cannabinoid products, uh, the intention behind the 2014 Farm Bill was to allow American supply chain actors to chip away at a previously import-only market sector, uh, namely for cannabinoid, or excuse me, grain and fiber-related products. Uh, and the, the other item to point out within there is, by our estimation, uh, U.S. acres associated with grain production will be nearly a third of that uh, that's based in Canada. And that creates the types of volumes necessary to attract major buyers that the Canadian grain market is presently reliant on, specifically here in the U.S. Um, and that's something that, that we've been covering uh, in great detail. But uh, that is probably the, one of the items that I'm most excited about on the grain side. Um, as a you know, tr true hemp or, or you know, hemp that's grown specifically for long bass fiber and herd production is at a, a point where while there is a great amount of potential, the reality of the, the immaturity within the supply chain makes it rife for oversupply uh, this coming year. And unlike CBD, the ton mile or the restrictiveness of moving the product based on the volumes and weights associated with that crop are tremendous and ultimately uh, produce a higher level of risk uh, than that of CBD. And, and to give you an idea there, you know, a first-time CBD farmer probably does five to 10 acres. To make a dent in growing fiber at a economically viable scale, you've got to dedicate 500 plus acres. So in terms of your cost per acre to the resulting value of the product, um, th there is a, a, a serious amount of risk, uh, but it's too early to tell how many of those contracted acres will be fulfilled. So I, I do think that there's um, a, a healthy opportunity for growth in this market sector um, as well. Uh, last, but, but certainly not least, on account of those acres being a 
eclipsed by grain and true hemp, this will offer the, the chance uh, for price rebound come next year. Uh, not every farmer should, should be a CBD farmer. There's likely a type of hemp that fits into their farming operation, but I think the 2019 oversupply um, limited the number of producers that want to continue to grow horticulture style hemp versus those that have transitioned to growing grain or fiber style hemp and ultimately fits their uh, production methods more uh, efficiently. And uh, as a, a point there, I, I do think the timing of this is critical because I do not foresee um, acres growing as readily as they did until uh, product manufacturers and, and ultimately uh, CPG uh, product developers address the dosage and product intera interaction questions that FDA has clearly put out there as the must do uh, items to address before a formal determination on CBD can be offered. Um, and you know, for, for what it's worth, uh, if current demand estimates are to be believed, we simply don't need as many acres associated with CBD when compared with the necessary acres to be competitive in the grain and true, uh, true hemp market. So all in all that, that really inter-product diversification is, is you know, gonna be the theme of, of the 2021 season. And I'm really excited to see how it all flushes out. Most definitely. I don't think that there's a person alive right now that isn't looking forward to 2021. <laughs> I don't think as a collective we've ever been so happy to end a year. But it's definitely, uh, definitely been that way this year. Tom, it's been great to have you here on the show. Before we go, though, one thing I do want you to do is tell our audience how they can sign up for the Pan Exchange Hemp Market Report. Of course, and, and uh, easy enough, if you go to www.panxchange.com, you'll find uh, a recently uh, revamped website that gives you both access to our, uh, you can either subscribe simply to the analysis portion, or if you are an active uh, buyer-seller within the cannabinoid space right now, you can sign up to participate in our trading platform as well. Um, I know folks are always looking to increase their points of sale and considering the volumes that are present on the market right now, I'd strongly encourage your listeners uh, to take a look at, at what sort of value they can get out of the trading platform section as well. Um, and last but certainly not least, if you just have questions about you know, your, your company's position or, or the the industry in general, feel free to reach out uh, to me and the rest of the hemp team, uh, simple drop down button on the website, and it'll be circulated to the person who's best uh, available to address your question. Absolutely wonderful. You know, maybe you can uh, twist RJ's arm and come back once in a while and we can host uh, we can host Pan Exchange with Tom Dermody as well. So uh, that's it's been a great time with you here on the show and I appreciate your time today. Likewise, and thank, thanks again for having me and have a great rest of your week and a good weekend.